0: Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest
1: memories when it comes to the investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin.
0: Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the loony hour episode 21 as always joined by the three amigos here. We've got rich Diaz at acorn macro consulting, the Tom Brady of macro. And we've got everyone's favorite boomer Keith Dicker in the sexy black tarp today. Welcome back to the show gentlemen. Um, so yeah, a, a very important episode. I suspect we'll have a lot of people hitting the play button on this one. Um, the first rate hike from the bank of Canada since 2018, highly anticipated i think there's a couple of twinkie wagers on it so uh we're going to get to some full commentary on the bank of canada's uh interest rate hike as well as some commentary we're filming this show a little bit later today cuz i uh begrudgingly made these guys i told them that i had to get through the whole presser of lifting, listening to tiff macklem so that took some time that guy is extremely boring but uh we'll get into that again in a little bit here and then we want to touch on uh some of this uh, commodity boom that we've got going on. Uh obviously that's gonna play into some of the inflation uh moving forward and then sort of an update on on Russia, Ukraine here. So that's kind of the the docket for today's show. But yeah, I guess first and foremost, let's lead it off with your first rate hike uh since 2018. So 25 basis points. I think it was baked in the cake. I had people even though texting me the day before, I mean, like, it's not going to happen, Russia, Ukraine. Like, the guy had to move. Uh, there's political pressure, I think, more importantly, on central bankers that they have to do something and they have to at least act and pretend to be tough on inflation. And so there really wasn't a choice, which we'll get into moving forward of how many more rate hikes they are going to get into. Um, and then we had uh, Tiff Macklem's commentary following up today. So they hiked rates yesterday with no real, like, announcement and they followed up today with a little bit more context on that announcement, which we'll get into. Uh, but I guess your initial reaction, Keith. To what? Keith's sleeping. Sorry, guys. You just woke up from not.
2: <laughs> uh, so, you know, I I love these events and um, I forget what we're used to describe. T- what did you describe Tiff as a couple minutes ago? What was I said boring? he's
0: boring as hell. I said, I miss, I miss Pelos and his, uh,
2: his metaphors that he had. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, so I, I like all these guys for what, for what they are, you know, it, it is what it is with these guys. So, uh, so what, so a couple of things about today's presser, it wasn't really a presser, by the way, and it is very different. If you're listening to it from what I say, you're going to say, Oh yeah, that that's right. It was different. So for the bank of Canada, normal, um, meetings they have, they have a presser afterwards, which is hosted, not hosted, but hosted by the bank of Canada, but the people invited to ask questions at, at the Q and A is the mainstream media guys for, so Bloomberg, you know, CTV, CBC, and, and guys like that. Um, and, you know, from, from my perspective, those, there are a lot of beach ball type questions. They're not really representative of what investors and managers are, or, or, or the everyday person is thinking about. Um, so it, you always watch those pressers i do anyway just to see what he says right because they don't really you know uh, and if you watch any of the parliament uh q a sessions or anything the politicians uh, you know they never answer the question they're asked they just say what they want to say right so it's kind of funny so that's what you watch from the normal pressers with the bank of canada today's presentation was hosted by the cfa society in toronto and um the Q&A was really good like there there were there were some thoughtful questions in there uh, a lot of them were some sort, of sort of overlap with what you'd get from a from a regular um, bank of canada presser but but these were really good so if you have a chance go back and watch the recording on it it'll be on the bank of canada website but overall the theme and again if you listen to what the bank of canada is saying when they explain what's causing inflation in the canadian economy uh, they're touching on everything. They're very accurate with that, and, and and that's great. You know, you can't poke any holes in it. The one thing they do leave out, though, they never say that they caused the housing inflation bubble but that's taking place. They they made no contribution to that at all, and and that's just wrong. You have to own up and say, you know what? We may have contributed to it, but they hands off that. But they talk about supply chain disruptions, uh, people working from home. Today, he had a, a good conversation that, you know, the goods prices, so people were buying computers, gyms for their homes and stuff because of the lockdowns, and they were spending less on services, you know, going out to ease and, and things like that. And all that is correct. Um, however, they are also very adamant that the response to controlled inflation is going to be them raising rates so on the one hand, he said the reason inflation has gone skyrocketing is because of the shutdowns and people can't, you know, commodity prices have gone up and all that stuff. And, of course, Russia, Russia, Russia is, is, was the first thing he mentioned what's causing inflation, which only only started two weeks ago. So that's that's a bit hard to reconcile. But, again, the takeaway from it is one thing for us to joke and say, you know, they don't know what they're doing and all that stuff. They They do. But the takeaway message is they're going to raise rates and, and they're they going to continue to do it until they're not able to anymore. That was very strong today, the message was. And he even said, hey, he, they wouldn't be afraid of raising rates at, by 50 basis points during a meeting. So I thought today's meeting was actually a lot more hawkish than what I was expecting. And um, But overall, like, I, I do encourage people to watch it. It was, it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, before we uh, jump to Rich's commentary here, I just uh... – yeah. On the, on the housing front, you talk about central bankers never taking the blame. <clears throat> you know, it's funny cause they've actually come out a lot of them, not just the Canadian central bank, but the Aussie central bank and, and the New Zealand central bank and they, and they, the, their defense is basically that they view housing or housing inflation as a, a fiscal problem. Um, they view it as a fiscal responsibility on the federal government level. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the craziness of it. But, uh, rich i don't know what your thoughts are here well just to address what you just said i think i think they're they're sort of right aren't they
1: um it fiscal is in like it's a government legislative problem like canada allowing too many people into this country or uh trick um trickiness with red tape and zoning and stuff like that i mean to some degree i would argue that the, the australians probably have it right to say that the central bankers have nothing to do it is absurd um, I don't know if I, if I was taking Tiff Macklin, I wouldn't want to tell everybody I was doing a shit job in a, in a, in a press release or in a presentation. So I can understand him sort of skirting that, that answer. Um, as far as the, 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 to be honest with you boys, I did not watch the, the presentation. I knew the two of you guys would do it. I I've watched so many of these, whether it was, um, Mario Draghi or, or Ben Renanke or Jerome Powell um my point is i think you're right i think they had no choice i think they had to do it i think what's interesting from keith's comment is i think something that we should um i think it's going to flow into sort of my um broader macro picture when we get get into it which is to say although the invasion of ukraine is sort of top of the mind and top of the headlines it's kind of screwed up to you know we're going to get into this later it's kind of screwed up to admit it it's kind of it just doesn't have that I don't think it doesn't really have that much impact on the global economy in the medium term. And I think that that's what these guys are sort of trying to address, which with, I think, the more hawkish comments. I mean, that's sort of my view. I don't have many, anything more to add.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I was just going to say that T- Tiff Macklem is just, man, he is so boring. I think he, he's like he's like, the, he's like the guy when, you know, when the, all like the, the boys get together for a beer and he's the guy that orders the soda water. I don't trust I don't trust the guy that orders the soda water yeah no and um, uh, but he's supposed to be boring though isn't he <laughs> I don't know man but I think pelos would slam beers <laughs> we'll that, never- guy, <laughs> <laughs> that guy looks like a bro
1: what is it um uh Abraham Lincoln a man with no vice
0: has little virtue pelos is like the pelos <laughs> is like the guy that comes to like your beer league hockey game with a 48 pack. <laughs> and crushes 12 of them after the game in the parking lot. Um, but yeah, I don't know in all seriousness. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, watching the presser, basically the takeaway that I got was that he was quite hawkish, uh, more hawkish than I was anticipating. I thought that he might use more of the Russia Ukraine as, as more air cover to, to not race. But I mean, the one thing that they did say was that yeah, they will continue to kind of monitor uh, inflation, they'll monitor its impact on the housing market. I think the one thing that he said, which I tend to disagree with, which was that our economy can withstand higher interest rates. Um, and I, 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 again, I think, yeah, okay, we can withstand 50 to 75 basis points, maybe a hundred basis points, but I still think that, I, th- I think everybody's wildly over optimistic in terms of Basically I think we're a housing economy and I don't think our housing market can withstand mortgage rates north of you know three and a half percent so that's kind of the key number that I'm looking at now keep in mind when I say this to people, I'm assuming that with rates at three and a half percent inflation is you know within its range today. I mean if inflation's at eight and mortgage rates are at three, then I mean it's probably still fairly <laughs> fairly bullish for the housing market already um, on. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what else, what else can I say on, that? I mean, I'm kind of curious your, your, your guys' thoughts. Do you guys have any updated views on the projection for end, end of this year? I mean, I know we've all been somewhat on the same page of two, three, maybe four rate hikes this year. Um, do we get the next, next announcements in April, right? Keith, is that, do you, do you think
2: we're getting another 25 basis points in April or do you, do, does he pause and wait for the next meeting? Uh, yeah, so f- first of all, you made a, a first you should also explain, uh, maybe some listeners are not familiar when we talk, when we say the word hawkish or, or dovish, maybe explain what that is. But before you do that, you actually, when I was listening to you, I'm thinking, oh yeah, like you, you just hit on the most important message that came out of the, the Bank of Canada's meeting today, um, was that he said, hey, the Canadian economy has enough slack. It can absorb higher rates, and I don't think it can, but That that's my own view so there is a bit of a collision coming up here and we'll we'll sort of weave in into that as, as we go along here because there's a lot of forces coming into play but again that is one of the key because it gives us the message that they're going to raise rates they're going to keep raising rates now until they're not able to anymore and usually the moment they stop it's always a little bit too late you know it's after the the accident has started well yeah, no, I was just
0: making the joke on Twitter the other day because I was like, this is pre-Bank of Canada rate hike. And I was like, these guys are literally starting their rate hiking cycle as the housing market is actually turning. Uh, I can say that with pretty full confidence right now as, as someone that works on the ground day to day and chatting with everybody in the industry, like it, things are changing. Um, when you
1: say when you say turning, do you mean the month on month rate of change um, is negative? Do you mean it's just, that that second derivative has slowed or do you okay. mean the year on year prices are now the year on year price change is now negative is that what you mean no
0: no uh, yeah that's a good that's a good question so everyone's like well is that going to show up in the data like this isn't going to show up in the data for a couple months but like i think what you're starting to see is like housing activity is beginning to slow it's coming off of like all-time like record hot fever pitch. fever pitch and so what i mean by that is like okay you can see it this is happening in vancouver <sighs> this is happening in Toronto um, where basically, um, okay. Houses that were typically getting like 10 offers on a house. Like you're seeing a lot of houses now only get one offer, two offers. Some, sometimes on offer date, you're not getting any offers. Like, well, that's strange. Like had that house been listed for sale three weeks ago, they would have gotten eight offers and now they're getting zero. So like, you're starting to see that shift. Um, I would say that's kind of what I'm saying. So it's like, are prices falling? No. I mean, is it still an extremely hot market? Yes, but it's starting to change and we're just beginning our rate hiking cycle. So I find it like the timing is always ironic because I mean, I think there's a strong argue, argument to be made that it takes some time for monetary policy to filter through into the market. Should they be a little bit more proactive and say, Hey, housing's starting to get really out of control. Maybe we should do a quick 25 basis points here to to slow things moving forward, it's like, they kind of wait, they just wait, they waited for so long. And I think they're obviously, I think they're behind the curve and now they're tightening. In my opinion, they're going to be tightening into a slowdown. So I just want to, so I I
1: agree with you. Obviously they're behind the curve. Um, One thing I forgot to mention in my comments earlier, which is real interest rates are still minus like three and a half percent. So even 25 basis points today is still frankly not a drop in the bucket, but I would say, you know, just to be, The one mini counterpoint is like, you know, the the front end of the yield curve. So the two year bond yield has done a lot of the heavy lifting for the central banks. So, you know, it's not the central bank's job is to regulate banks. Obviously, it's also to message and do some kind of forward guidance. But I also think it's um, the signaling, which we got six months ago, you could argue kind of worked right because they yep. said okay in like we're going to raise rate i mean i can't remember when they said it over the summer they said you know q1 of next year we're going to raise rates whatever it doesn't matter my point is that precipitated i mean the us did it also so it's not just canada but that precipitated the rise in the short term bond yield which in effect is a kind of rate
0: hike from the central bank do you get what i mean well yeah no 100% i think like it is all like It is all like forward guidance, right? So it's basically forward guidance. Yeah, forward guidance. Again, for for those that might not understand that, it's basically just like them alluding to something. Uh, It's them forecasting, basically. They're trying to change your behavior, your habits. And so you'll remember precisely at the start of the pandemic, Tiff Macklin came out and was like very adamant. We're going to leave rates at zero for a very long time into well into 2023. And that was like the green light. I remember saying that's the green light to speculate in housing. So everyone's like, oh my God, mortgage rates are 1.3%. This guy's gonna leave them there for the next three years. Let's go load up. That's what they did. Now you're seeing like, I see it with clients all the time. Hey, rates are going up, aren't they? Well, maybe we should wait. Maybe the housing market's gonna start to slow down. So it's like just them like talking about rate hikes starts to change consumer uh, behavior or market sentiment.
1: Can I ask one more question? Sorry, on the housing. I'm just really curious. So I know you said that the, sort of the volumes and transactions are um, slowing down and sort of the froth is maybe, it, you know, it's coming off the boil a bit. Are you seeing more uh, inventory? So, or are, are people, you know, you know, there was like, oh, we're not going to sell. We're not going to sell because of COVID. We don't know blah, blah blah. but are you seeing that? Are you seeing the inventory numbers change or not at all?
0: Uh, slight, not really slightly, but like I, what I will say is, what I will preface is that we're actually entering into the busiest time of the year for the housing market in terms of so March, April, housing very
1: seasonal, housing very seasonal,
0: very seasonal. So March, April, May, every single year, March, April, May, that's where you get the most number of new listings. Everybody lists their house for sale March, April, May. I don't know why, it's just what what it is. So. Um, I I my thought process is like, okay, the housing market is clearly starting to slow down. We're now gonna be entering a period where seasonally we got a lot of new listing activity. Is the buyer demand gonna be there to meet that listing inventory? Um, and and my suspicion is yeah, you know, yes, it will still be a probably still be a balance to seller's market here in the spring. But I mean, it's it's definitely changing from all-time frothiness. Um, the only other thing I'll just touch on here and get Keith, maybe your comments, uh, to summarize on this, but, um, so people were asking about, we've, we talked about this on the show before, but, uh, on the, so keep in mind, right. So the bank kind of raised variable rates or sorry, they raised the overnight rate by 25 basis points. Obviously that changes the bank's prime rate, which is tied into your variable rate mortgage. Um, and so just for everybody's context. Cause everybody goes, Oh my gosh, there's going to be this huge calamity. Um, so your variable rate mortgage yesterday went up 25 basis points that equates to, so every hundred thousand dollars that someone has borrowed on a mortgage that, that equates to roughly $12 increase on a monthly basis. So your payment went up by 12 to $13 per month based on how much you borrowed. Um, so And then just to quantify that one more time is not only about half of variable rate mortgages actually have floating payments. So most half of variable rate mortgages have fixed payment structure. So even if the Bank of Canada raises 100 basis points, your mortgage payment will stay the same. The only thing that will change is how much of your payment goes towards your principal pay down. So people just think, oh, you know, Bank of Canada raises this rate six times this year. That's going to equate to, you know, the average mortgage going up three, $400 a month. Nobody can afford it. Everything's going to blow up. No. Keep in mind, a lot of the big banks, their product has a fixed variable rate payment, um, which takes a lot of that risk out of that market. So
2: that's something I'd sort of preface. Um, Keith, I don't know if you have any commentary on any of that. but uh, No, but you did ask me... Just a few minutes ago, about what are the rate expectations coming up? So the next meeting is on April thirteenth, and the percentage of a rate hike is one hundred and eighty-eight percent. Right. So, so basically, what that means is that a fifty basis. So the probability uh, there's a high probability that the Bank of Canada will increase rates by a half a percent at the next meeting.
0: Half. Ah, so fifty basis points. Yes.
2: Well, it's not one hundred percent guaranteed, but it's it. The market is leaning towards that right away. So twenty five basis points is in the bag. If they don't do that, it's you know they're going to shock the world again. But the market right now, they're saying, you know what? there is a there is a chance that they do fifty basis points as well. So you know maybe uh, where is it? I'm Who well. wants, yeah oh the Twinkie, I, I the Twinkie box is, is coming up here.
0: Do, okay, do we have a do we have a Twinkie bet here? Does anybody have uh 50 basis points in April? I'm going with no. I'm going, I'm with, going no. with yeah, I mean now I do like Jesus. Twinkies, mind
2: you. So this, uh, this show is as boring as Tiff am Holy smokes. <laughs> uh i think we're pretty cool guys actually so we're we're not boring are we gonna go are we going let me just go through (laughs) are we going around the
0: horn are we going around the horn here who's got i got i'll go 25 basis points in april
1: oh me yeah oh oh, no i don't i don't think they'll raise rates no i think they'll do four times this year so this is the first and then because I think the, the reason we're gonna, I think, and it's it actually is a good segue, Keith, you're up next. But this is a good segue because I think the Russia thing is gonna get worse before it gets better, and then they're they're gonna get they're gonna get scared off 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 the off their path. So I'll take I'll take I'll take the uh, under. I'll take the zero for next meeting.
2: Oh man, Rich is gonna start eating my Twinkies. <laughs> I love Twinkies. <laughs> Um, so much confidence in the old right? Eh? so much confidence <laughs> i know i know but a, you made a good point though so if if there was none of this um you know this crisis and war taking place um you know a, again 25 base points are in the bag that's going to happen and i do think they would love to do 50 i don't know if they would I, I would actually put money on 25 basis points but it comes back to your comment rich like you don't. if you feel that You know, the situation over in in Ukraine and elsewhere, you know, it could spread. If if it's going to get worse, then, you know, that absolutely puts a a zero rate hike in play. So, my suggestion to you, Rich, is don't get excited about the Twinkie. (laughs) You need to look at the Canadian Bankers Acceptance Contract, my friend. You you can buy a nice, yeah, you can, you know, (laughs) make enough to buy like five condos from the king of Kitslano. You can do this. (laughs) I hey, want a, uh, I want,
1: I want a condo in Banff
2: or somewhere near Calgary. That's where I want. Hey, come on down, come on down. <laughs> I, uh, uh, but let's put some more numbers here, guys, just to let you know. So by September, uh, right now the market is is saying we should be at one and a half percent. Keith, so, it's not, yeah, it's not can, happening. Can, it's not happening. Can, yeah, it's,
0: that's embarrassing. But anyways, yeah. um, Keith, can I ask you because I think the viewers might want to know as well. And I think there's a couple of distinctions. When we talk about like market pricing and rate hikes, isn't there like there's multiple ways to price that products? There's different, different products. products. So can, can you explain like which one you're looking at and maybe
2: the difference? Uh, well, for these numbers here, uh, I'm just basically looking at what the estimates are. So people who the economists who contribute to Bloomberg for the Canadian marketplace, uh, and there's a bunch of them. It has their estimates coming up over this cycle. So these will be all the key economists with, with the big Canadian banks, as well as the global banks that follow Canada as well, as well as some of the independent jobs, like, like global economics and, and those guys. Like they're, they're in there as well. And uh, th- those guys are, are pretty good at, at this part of their job on the economy. Um, you know The whole job numbers and inflation data points, they're, they're a bit trickier to get done. Um uh, in terms of trying to play this a, as an investor it, it's difficult for the retail investor to do it um it's easier for a for a professional to do it if they have access to some of these markets and uh to do that you had to be able to trade futures markets effectively and, and again not all investment professionals have access to that market however <clears throat> there there will be a lot of money playing this right now so uh like a lot of big hedge funds out there and even pension funds trying to hedge their positions and banks as well banks are using these markets all the time so the 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 tools are available but for you know the average person thinking about their rsp and stuff like that as rich pointed out a lot of this has already been priced into the market so um you know, answer I'm, I'm happy to chat with Steve, <laughs> but I'm, I'm to happy to question. chat with any. Uh, go back, to, but I'm happy to chat with anyone, like specifically on on things. But you can do it, but it it's you need to know what you're doing, basically. Well, no, okay. I mean, anyways, yeah. I no no. no let story. me answer.
1: So to answer the question, because <laughs> Keith skated around it, I'm just gonna nail it down. There's There's the banker's acceptance, which we've talked about a lot. There's something called a forward overnight index swap. Again, only, you only have access to these kinds of things if you're on a trading desk. And then the other way to simply do it is if you really were keen on, it, is you could literally be buying or selling the short-term bonds, so the three-month out, uh, two-year out, whatever it is. And in the U.S., for to give you context, is a, a Fed fund futures, which is a, um, which is a basically a bond-like instrument that pulls to par. So that basically as you towards you get as you get closer and closer to maturity it goes to 100 and you can basically buy or sell that but almost all as keith outlined almost all these products are basically only available if you're on a proper trading desk i think retailer investors should probably stay very very far away from making these kinds of bets um anyway back to you. yeah no yeah so definitely. the biggest I mean,
2: yeah just to touch on that but the biggest market in the world for this is the euro dollar contract so that's linked to the fed funds futures what what Rich just mentioned, and that market is enormous. It's like it's if you look at the the trading volume today, it's just flying through, right? It's, it's a really great market. The Canadian equivalent is the Canadian Bankers Acceptance Contract, which which is a, a play on the Canadian uh, the Canadian central bank rate, but there's a bit of a a credit spread attached to it as well because so that got a bit funky back in uh, when the pandemic you know was kicking in in 2020. So that was the long answer, you know from Maybe I made it too long, but there are opportunities, but don't the average investor, you know, listening think, yeah, I'm going to run out and and short the bank of Canada because uh, you sort of got to know what you're doing. And most, you know, if you go to your mutual fund guy, he's not going to have a clue what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) You're going to, so long story short is if you're going to, it's safer for everybody here that's listening just to bet. If you're going to wage, if you're going to wager, wager, wager a Twinkie, and uh, you know, keep it simple. By the way, I think Keith has the only box of Twinkies in all of Halifax. So, um, geez, your 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 house is gonna get targeted here. Um, but yeah, I think that gives us brings us to the next point, Rich, which is tying this all in here as Macklem talked about today. Boring Macklem um, is. Commodity inflation. We've got, you know, oil. Even in Western Canadian Select here is over a hundred bucks a barrel, um, playing into more inflation. Right, as we've talked about before, oil is life. Uh, it's basically in, in every aspect of our lives today. So that higher input cost is going to to trickle through. So, and then we've got, uh, you know, Ukraine and Russia, which are huge, uh, you know, wheat and grain uh, suppliers what are they, I don't know what Ukraine is. Was it 30, 40% of wheat supply? I don't know. Rich, you'll, you'll know better. I'll, I'll, I'll turn this to you, but how do you see this sort of playing out um, in in markets and and, in general? The biggest thing I'm looking at is like, Oh my gosh, like if you think food inflation has been bad over the last 12, 18 months, I'm like, this, this could get really nasty. And I think that's, that's when you get that social unrest, right? I mean, like, Hey, it's all fine and dandy, a little bit of inflation here. But when people start saying, hey, I can't put food on my table, I think that's when people get really upset.
1: Um, yeah, so I think what's important, to, I think, so one of the things I object to is, is central bankers using what's going on in Ukraine um, and relating that to inflation that we're seeing. Because remember, you're, what, what is inflation? Inflation is some kind of price index, whether it's a producer price index or a consumer price index. And it's the change so the year on year change or three month on three months or whatever it is, but it's the change over some over a time frame that's in the past. Yeah. So the fact that oil has gone up 10 bucks or 10% over the last, you know, two weeks or whatever, it does not. I mean, that's the idea that they would um, blame current inflation on what's happened in the last two weeks. That's just, that's just bogus. So let's just keep it. I think it's important that we understand sort of the definitions of what we're talking about. As far as um, commodity prices, I think what's really fascinating is um, before this kicked off in Ukraine, before the invasion of Ukraine, um, non-energy commodity prices. um, So what is that? That's everything from gold to pork bellies to cattle and milk and everything in between. That had already reached sort of the all-time high. And the all-time high, according to the Goldman Sachs um, Standard & Poor's Commodities Index was April 2011. Um, if you look at grain, so there's different ways. Obviously, that's, that's made up of a bunch of different indices for commodities. Obviously, I excluded energy because energy is a sort of its own market, and it's its own sort of animal. But uh, what is non-energy commodity prices? That includes agriculture, industrial metals, precious metals, ferrous metals. Um, it also includes, um, we mentioned agriculture, but in, in, important in that agriculture index is obviously grain. And that's where things like wheat obviously really matter. And your point about social unrest, um, if you'll recall that April 2011, it's sort of not an accident, or maybe it is a coincidence, but that the, um, what was it called? The Arab Spring happened in and around um, the summer of 2011. And, you know, who can blame them, right? I mean, these countries, um, so the poorer you are in general, the more and more, you spend on food relative to your overall disposable, uh, sorry, sorry, yeah, relative to your disposable income, the more and more you spend on food. And grain in some way, shape or form is the most important uh, food stuff in the world for everybody, whether you're Chinese, whether you're African, whether you're Canadian, whether it doesn't matter, you're spending, the, the vast majority is either grain or a derivative of grain. So if you're buying beef, you know, um, lots of animals will eat corn or, you know, not everybody is rich. Like Steve, they can eat grass fed, uh, Kobe beef, but for the rest of us, we're eating USDA meat and it's almost all of that is corn fed. And so that's why people are, and then, and then we didn't even talk about the fertilizer point, which is also used, um, in growing, obviously all of these, um, foodstuffs. And so, you know, if I'm looking at the grain index right now, which Um, and you can, and we're back to basically just a sniff below, um, below all time highs again, 2011. Um, and I think the, the the really important thing I think we're all sort of forgetting is, and why I think it's going to continue to ratchet higher is two reasons. One is inventories were already quite low for various different reasons. There was a really bad harvest in Brazil. I believe, I think a lot of key, um, what's it called storage
0: facility. There was a storage Uh facility you mentioned dry dry uh yeah sorry just quickly chime in here um nation so uh in canada uh 40 percent of western canada's grain output um was was basically wiped out due to dry dry conditions essentially um last year so uh, yeah basically it says here stockpiles of wheat in canada dwindled to 15.6 million tons at the end of december down 38 percent from a year earlier yeah.
1: So so it, it relates to the oil sector in a sense, because, you know, you had and, and obviously the shutdowns and the lockdowns, they affected it. There was shit weather over the last little while. It's sort of just like, um, you know, it's like a perfect storm. But I also think what's also really important, especially this is true for the basic materials um, sector. Um, you, I don't know if any of you guys have noticed, but lithium prices are through the absolute roof. Partly this is because of the lockdowns, but it's also partly because, and I mentioned this in my oil rant from a couple of weeks ago, it's a function of the CapEx spending. So what's CapEx? CapEx is capital expenditure for mining and metals companies. And that's at a, relative to sales, relative to assets, relative to any way you want to sort of measure it over time. The CapEx spent on resource extraction has, is basically at 20-year lows. Um, and why is this true? Because of a lot of green energy policies. I'll skip that. I'll skip that rant for now. But the point is, is it? I mean, regardless of why it's happened, it is happened. So you got short-term inventories are low. The long-term, medium-term prospect for improving those inventories are also low. And then obviously demand is is coming back online. Um, and so you, you've just sort of got this sort of perfect storm. And I think that absolutely think commodities are going to, and then obviously you've got the Russia, China thing. Russia is a huge producer of um, commodities, um, especially for the West. Um, And yeah, so I think, I think we're, we're, I mean, over the next little while, I think we're definitely going to see some higher quantity prices. I don't know if it'll be sustained. I mean, humans know how to grow and accumulate grain. So
0: Um, just to quickly touch on this before I get to Keith's comments here, but um, so uh, CP rail here in Canada is actually, potentially voting to go on strike as of march 16th uh, which could further disrupt uh deliveries of key fertilizer for farmers just as they're trying to sort of play catch up here um canada along with russia and belarus are one of the main sources for the world's potash uh, which is commonly used in fertilizer so uh yeah turning into a bit of a shit show like you said i think uh if you want to get uh yeah, you might want to get long some food. Get long a Costco membership because uh, I think it's going to get more expensive to put food on the table here moving forward. Uh, Keith, any any sort of comments and maybe how you see this shaping up into financial markets as well? Like, you know, uh, obviously we see the the dollar wrecking ball is is certainly part of your your bull thesis, and that seems to be playing out as well.
2: Uh, again, I think you know from a financial market perspective and the economic perspective this is just. Incredibly fascinating. So I've gone through a number of these over the years, uh, but back to Rich's point with with uh, food and specifically wheat. So you know we we have exposure directly to agricultural commodities. So three main ones are, are wheat, corn, and, and soy. Those are the three main ones. But to give you an idea, like over the last year prior to the uh, the Ukraine Russia uh, war, the price of wheat went from roughly six fifty up to eight hundred bucks. So what's that, like a 20% increase, I guess, something like that. Um, and, and that is reflecting tighter supplies, uh, less yielding on, on the crops that are out there, fertilizer is going to be more expensive, all, all that. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the war started. So now the current contract for wheat down in Chicago, it, it's gone from 800 bucks up to $1,200. So that's a 50%, that's a half a 100% increase in wheat over the last couple of weeks and so what we like to look at from an investment perspective is whenever i see any market go vertical up or down like I, that that's exciting like that's exciting because the world is not linear nothing ever stays in you know the, the current trend forever something will will turn here um if this war if a, sol- a resolution to it at some point soon and i, I think there will be because alternatively it means it gets really bad and then we're You know, we're moved to a completely different phase of it. And the way mainstream media is right now, that's what they're telling everyone. Like, it's never, there's never a horizon, right? They always, it's a dark tunnel and that's it. And I I don't think that's the case. Um, There there will be a resolution of of some sort coming up here. Um, So in, in that space, you know, you would, as soon as the war is over, or there's a resolution and everyone, you know, wins a little bit from it. That's the way they have to do it. It's, for example, they cannot Russia cannot lose this and not save any face in, in anything. Like it, it just doesn't work that way at at that stage. The Russians have to get some kind of consolation prize. So if people that think, yeah, Putin's gonna get dragged through the streets and, and all that, if it happens, it's gonna create even a, a bigger vacuum in the world of, of what happens next because you, you right now we have one world power that's it people think China and the Russians are combined or close to but it, but it's not but you, you don't want one extreme power in the world and that's what it is right now um, so we have that taking place but let, let's jump over right now do what I find the most fascinating because I like to talk about the financial world is is, is changing and it's changing rapidly and I've been saying this for a while now, and now we're actually seeing it. Cause when they let a certain genie out of the bottle, they can't put it back in. So, first of all, we've always known in, in my world that the biggest weapons that the Americans have, it's the financial weapons. You know, it is it's not the Navy and, and all that stuff, which is incredibly powerful, by the way. Nothing can top the American Navy. Um, however, what happened when they first start putting sanctions on the Russians a couple of weeks ago? Remember that remember Biden said, no, we're not gonna cut them off swift we, we're not going to do that because he he knew or his advisors said now we, we can't do that that's really going to change the world dramatically and then something happened overnight all of a sudden you know, I think it was Germany the Italians and I forget the other country did they finally accept it yeah we'll we'll do it uh, so with the Russians now, these are the list of things that we talked about last week, and, and they are happening. So the Russians, uh, we have the sanctions taking place. Putin is now on the sanction list. He wasn't before. The Russians, um, a lot of their banks have been cut off from the SWIFT dollar system or network. By the way, they can still trade oil on it, apparently. Uh, central bank assets have been frozen by the bank, by the central bank of Russia. Um Russian equities have been removed from all MSCI indices. And that might sound boring, but for all these ETFs you buy from emerging markets, any kind of investment held in Russia that's now sold, it just has to go out by law. It's it's an incredibly powerful tool. Because when, when that's in place, and this is one way the Chinese get a lot of capital, by the way, so uh, the, their companies are included in the MSCI index because they lobbied for that when they entered the, uh, the WTO back like 20 years ago, whatever it was. All of a sudden then like every day, like there's tens of millions of dollars in capital investment flowing into China. Anyway, the Russians just got shut out of that. So now all of a sudden uh, credit ratings on any kind of Russian related debt, it's, they've been downgraded or with no rating. That means that pension funds are no longer allowed to hold this stuff. Um, there's no, lo- Russians can no longer do any equity or debt sales in the U S and the, even the Swiss banks have frozen, um, assets from certain Russian individuals. And for the Swiss to do that, you know, it, it, again, it, it's pretty big. So, uh, you know, I, I, know I just droned on and on, but
1: wait, can I just chime in really quickly here? Yeah. I forgot the most important one. Roman Abramovich had to sell Chelsea football club.
2: <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah, it's it's well, it, you know, for everyone else, you know, we're gamers, right? Hey, yeah, wow, that that's crazy, but that's a, that's an enormous asset. I don't know who's going to buy it, but um, we'll, we'll the Saudis. See. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the Saudis are up in arms today, right? You know, because of the the Iranians might have their uh, you know, the sanctions lifted lifted against them. So but everything here is 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 connected, and even if there's a resolution this afternoon to the war. It's it's highly unlikely all these sanctions are going to be lifted. You know, the Russians will be turned back on to Swift and, and all that stuff. And, and again, this is the financial weapon. So I, I've said numerous times now in, in writings, interviews, and all this, all this stuff. The most powerful if if the if the Americans want to turn off the Chinese economy, they can do it within 10 days. They just cut them out of the Swift dollar system, specifically Hong Kong and specifically HSBC, that's where they get their dollars all flowing through HSBC. And uh, this is now confirmation to the world that, hey, th- now they can do it because it's, it's happened with the Russians. Uh, it's not as severe economically for the world with it happening to Russia. If it happened with the Chinese, then yeah, it, it's an insane moment coming up. But now that's hanging out there. That, that's out there now in the world, and the, the Chinese are aware of it. And anyone else, so the Americans, hey, if you're not on our team, it means you're on the other team and you know, we can cut you off financially. So again, I'm just gonna kind of stress, this is an enormous week for this and it's not gonna change coming up.
1: Can I just ask a question,
2: um, Keith? I mean, does this accelerate
1: China's desire to pull away from the US with respect to the, um, yeah, I mean, all of these funding markets, whether it's um, dollar trades, whether it's the petrodollar, you know what I mean? Um, people have talked about the Petro Won in the past. Is this, do you think this? Do you think that's bogus, or do you think that that accelerates all of these trends to kind of de-link and de- disconnect the Chinese financial and and um, sort of trade credit markets to the U.S. and Europe? I mean, the the, the Petro Ruble Won.
0: <laughs> You're
1: gonna have to think don't, of a better. Don't name start. Don't
0: start. No,
1: no, but I, I, honestly, I know, I know we're joking, but i i mean, if you're if you're if you're Xi Jinping, you, you've just got a—you've been like you—you've you, almost certainly been startled by the speed and the effectiveness of this, frankly, act of war. And I was just wondering if you thought that, that yeah. the Chinese will take pause, or will they
2: accelerate their plans, or is it all BS? And so I, I love that question. Like Steve's question earlier wasn't very good, but you just answer it anyway. This is a much better question. Uh, so one thing I didn't mention, though, with, with Russia, there are bank runs now. People are scrambling yeah, to get U.S. Yeah, lines at the ATMs. There's lines at the ATMs. Yeah. Like, and then Bitcoin was... jumped. People are going into crypto. People. You hear that, Keith? Yeah. Like crypto it was <laughs> jumping up. But everyone, like even today, for example, and, you know, you got to take everything with half a grain of salt as well. But uh, there are rumors in Russia tonight that um, they're going to uh, impose martial law, and any male eighteen or over, they have to stay in the country, and then they can be, you know, conscripted in, into the army. So because uh, like people I are was... leaving,
1: there's some flights out of I mean, Turkish yeah.
2: Airlines has seen huge, huge amounts of flights out of out of Russia. Yeah. So so again, like again, life has changed dramatically, and and that's that's not going to get reversed. However, this is resolved, financial markets will reverse aggressively. I'm a true believer in that. Uh, But back to the other question about about the Chinese. So first of all, no one likes the current system. It's a system that just evolved. And the reason it evolved was because when World War II was over and during that time, everyone in in the world, they all moved their assets to America. Because America, even though they were heavily involved in the war, not one shot was fired in the U.S., right? The U.S., is, it's physically imposing. No one can attack it and all that. And that's why all, all the wealth has stayed there, uh, all the loans after World War II to get things going, it went, all went through the U.S., American institutions and all that. So here we are now, like years later, and it's, it's grown in, in, into this behemoth where there's, there's no alternative, Rich. So they want an alternative, and everyone's wanted one for a long time but no one's been able to create one. So th- th- this does, you know, accelerate the desire to have one because the Chinese are absolutely sitting there saying, holy smokes, if if they turn off the SWIFT system or uh, you guys don't even know this. Okay, so HSBC, for example, uh, they were uh, caught laundering money for for one of the largest Mexican drug uh-huh. cartels. And uh, so this was back in the 2014 or 16 you know agreeing whatever they they went through and in, in the end it
0: showed up in Kitsilano
2: there's a great there's a great yeah. netflix special by the way
1: called dirty money and they explain the whole thing is fascinating it's wild had no one went yeah. to prison anyway, it's sorry, incredible
2: yeah absolutely so like if if you know if, if you or steve laundered money for the for any kind of drug cartel you're in prison that, that's where you go um if you're running a banking institution you know you lose you your get license. promoted you get promoted <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, but but jokes aside i mean that's but hsbc that they paid a fine but and then they establish all of these other red lines and if you cross any of the red lines you are now going to have criminal prosecutions and you're going to lose your american banking license they've already crossed a lot of these red lines and the American institutions have still not acted upon that. They have the legal right to do it. That they have the legal right to do it. Uh, the Trump administration they went close several times to doing it. And every time they're about to do it, um, they, they they were told by Treasury, don't do it because it instantly causes a collapse in Hong Kong which then drains everything out of China as well. And so for those that don't know, so Hong Kong, for example, sorry, uh, HSBC, I'm gonna say HSBC, HSBC, their business is basically split between, you know, the, the Chinese business and then outside of, outside of China. And uh, they're in a really hard place there a couple of years ago because they were told in the, in the Western world said, hey, if you do any business with the Chinese, your guys are gonna go to jail, you're gonna lose your license. And The Chinese told them, Hey, if you do this, you're gonna lose your access to Chinese and Hong Kong markets. So these poor guys are sitting there saying, What do you do? You know, like two extremely powerful groups on each side of you. So what the what the HSBC did, they've actually sided with the Chinese. So they'll continue to do everything that they've done before. But the threat is is there now. So and, and the Chinese are aware of that. And because the Americans have turned off the Russians from the access to capital markets, they're able to do that now without having any remorse. They're saying, "Wow, we did it to the Russians. Um, and again, that's not impacting the financial world. If they do it to the Chinese, it's going to hurt everyone. Like, we're all going to feel this one.
1: But Keith, Keith, up- isn't this isn't this something you can only really do once? Like, does that make sense? I mean, I know you could you could probably do it to Hungary or, you know, Australia or frankly, other countries that don't frankly really matter. Canada if the US wanted to kick Canada off swift i mean you know some rough some rough, maybe you know Justin Trudeau would do something i don't know eat a donut or something who knows but my point is this is like kind of this is sort of something you can only really do once isn't it i mean yeah
2: yeah so they it's fired their once, shot so if you if, if you do it once i mean you you can you can't turn it back on right there is so that's why it, it's a very heavy-handed response by the americans if they do it. And um, it, again, this has been known for a while. The state department are aware with treasury department, the fed, the CIA, but that's sorry,
1: know, sorry to interrupt you. but that, that's, yeah. isn't that
2: the point why in
1: a way it was sort of, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you won't, it's, isn't it more useful to hold it as a deterrent? Do you know what I mean? To like, to extract concessions before you execute on this plan rather than to just, cause like now what does, what does, not to get into geopolitics, but like they've already now Russia's kicked out. So what the hell do they care, right? Do they, you know, now they're just going to push through with what they wanted to do, anyways, if that makes
2: sense. Well, again, I think the Russian situation, is something happened. We won't find out about months, years down the road. Something happened very abruptly behind the scenes because the Americans said, no, we are not going to sanction Putin and we're not going to cut the Russians off, off the SWIFT system. And again, I think oil is still trading. So you don't have to. You know that capital is still moving, but
1: yeah,
2: you know, and the, the Russians are struggling to get something set up because again, they've lost access to capital markets. That's the big thing. Um, and I, you know, to, to answer your your question, I mean, with regards to China, it, it's been dangling there for a while. I mean, like, there's no secrets. I mean, if if we're, if the Loony Hour is talking about it, I mean, we're smart guys and everything, but no offense, guys. I mean, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, everyone else is aware of it as well. It, it's there, but everything, the reason they're dangling over the Chinese, uh, whether it's for you know, what happened with genocide over there, or taking freedoms away from Hong Kong, um, intellectual property theft. I mean, you, you can go on and on and on, and like they haven't stopped, right? So, um, but again, we'll, we'll just see what, where it goes. So if it does happen, the effect on Canadians is uh you know financial markets will, will get thumped, but the dollar would just scream higher. U.S. dollar. In, U.S. dollar. U.S. Sorry, dollar like it, tightening ultimately, yeah, tightening tightening of general market liquidity conditions. So if this weekend, if, if they turned off SWIFT and the Chinese for whatever reason, and again, everyone, this is not happening this weekend, so don't run out and say the loony hour said this is gonna happen, but the, the, the main dollar index, the DXY index, is about 98 right now this morning. And Monday morning, that thing would open up at about 125, 150. Like It won't even be priced. Okay. So, so the other thing, like we talked, for example, like energy is screaming higher now. Like what's the worst performing market, currency market right now? Besides ruble, of course, it's, it's euro. So euro is underperforming the Turkish lira right now. Right? So, so again, like we, we know Europe is screwed, but if, if energy screams higher and... You Know they're getting cut off from getting, um, you know, Russian energy and all that stuff it, again. Everything is connected here. I think it's we should thank all the, degree, the uh, sorry, yeah. Don't go, go, go.
0: No, no, go. I was gonna say, hasn't, hasn't the Canadian dollar been relatively underperforming right now as well? Which is, you know, somewhat eye opening, all things considered, because considering you know, our, our
2: commodity uh based nation here, um. Yeah. I think mean, the dollar has done quite well, actually, guys, because it's it's getting a bit of, you know, support here with with oil, you know, going higher. Don't uh, you think it should co- be arguably... It's definitely doing... disconnected. There's
1: been a decoupling yeah. that's um, a, in that's the what dollar. I but yeah. that, that, no, no, you're, you're right to point that out. I mean, over the last couple of days, I haven't really paid attention to it. But over the last six months, as the dollar has ratcheted higher and higher, um, and the U.S. interest rate expectations have, you know, gone into the, the stratosphere, I mean... Um, you've definitely seen the, the dollar starting to lag the, the price of crude oil. Um, and I mean, there are different arguments for why this is happening. I think it's largely a function of the fact that Canadians will not be able to raise interest rates anywhere near as much as the U S as uh, for a bunch of reasons we've covered on this podcast before. But, um, but yeah, you're right, Steve, just to point out that, um, there's definitely been a, it's, it's
0: disconnected de- de- from oil in a little bit. That's where we end it right there on the Canadian dollar. Um, just to summarize, we do have a bet on the table <laughs> in it for April. Uh, Rich Rich is going with no rate hikes from the Bank of Canada. Keith and I are in the camp of 25 basis points. So there is another Twinkie on the line. And, uh, as always, we appreciate the support. All we ask is that you share this podcast with at least one friend, one family member. Let's continue to grow the Looney hour community. We appreciate your support. And as always, we'll see you every Friday. Thanks for tuning in.